from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I understand the house was actually scheduled for demolition in 1934. What a classic St. Louis story. They were just going to sweep away this past. What happened to change the narrative here and save this house? So there was a local editor at the, at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and he felt compelled to write about this house that was slated to be torn down. Um, and unfortunately, he didn't get a lot of attention from that first article. Nobody really said anything. But in the meantime, he found out that Denver was saving Fields' home when he had lived there. And so he wrote a second article saying, you know, how horrible is it that Denver can save his home, but we can't save his birthplace. I'm Sarah Fenske. The house that would later become the Fieldhouse Museum was built in 1845. That was 175 years ago. Its first tenants included Roswell Field. He is the attorney who formulated the legal strategy that got Dred Scott's lawsuit for freedom before the U.S. Supreme Court. And it later housed his son, the notable children's poet Eugene Field. Tomorrow, the Fieldhouse Museum opens a new exhibit delving into the house's history and its significance. It's called Momentous Milestones. And joining us today to tell us about it is Stephanie Bliss. She's the executive director of the Fieldhouse Museum. So, Stephanie Bliss, welcome. Thank you very much for having us. So, Stephanie, tell us about this house's origin story. What led to it being built? So, um, the property was actually gifted to what would become the St. Louis Public Schools um, way back in the 1800s. And the schools, since they were given so much property throughout the city, they actually leased it out. And one of the gentlemen who leased some of the property was Mr. Walsh, and he was a a businessman here in St. Louis. And he decided to build some rental units um, in a a location um, south of... um, what was called downtown at the time. Uh, We consider it the heart of downtown by today's standards. Mm -hmm. But at the time, it was actually the southern part of St. Louis. Okay. So was this a a largely residential area at that point? What was going on there in 1845? (laughs) Yeah. So the area was pretty residential. Um, It wasn't considered a neighborhood like Lucas Place, where the Campbell House currently is. But it was was a residential area. we had horse stables, a church. Um, there was a women's association nearby. Actually, Ulysses S. Grant had a home a block away from where the Field family residence was at. So hmm. it was kind of like an area where um, people who had country homes as their primary residence, when they would come to the city, this would be their their rental unit, their temporary residence when they were doing business in the city. Hmm. So was that the case for the most famous tenant of this house? That is the attorney, Roswell Field. Uh, so the Fields actually moved into the residence. They were getting away from the city. Their first child died in the cholera epidemic of 1849. Hmm. And their home that was um, in the city at the time came very close to the Great Fire of St. Louis. So they wanted to build a countryside home in what is now Carondelet. Um, oh, wow. That's, but, yeah, that was way out in the country back in the day, that, right? That was, that was. Um, and so they needed a temporary residence that was further out 
And so they decided to rent the unit at what is now 634 South Broadway. Um, at the time, it was Fifth Street. Okay. So this unit, how long did the Field family uh, end up living there? Um, they lived there for several years. When when Roswell Field, who was an attorney and his wife moved into the residence, they had um, their son, Eugene. They also had a few more children. Um, and um, Roswell was doing his court cases. And then... Um, at the time um, when they were living there, um, his wife, Frances, passed away after giving birth to a child. Mm -hmm. And this was when Eugene was about six years old. Um, and he decided to send his two boys, e Eugene and his younger brother, Roswell Jr., to live with their aunt and their cousin in Amherst, Massachusetts, uh, because he felt they needed a mother figure in their lives. Mm -hmm. And he was not going to remarry. He had found the love of his life um, and he didn't. He didn't feel he was in a place to do that sort of thing. So um, although it no longer became their primary residence, um, it, the, the fields did hang on to it for when Eugene and Roswell would come back to St. Louis. So that way they could go back to their home, per se. Mm. So Roswell, best known for the Dred Scott case. That case had so many twists and turns, years of legal battles there. Which part of it uh, was Roswell responsible for? So Roswell wasn't their first attorney. He was actually, um, he came in later on and he changed it from a freedom suit, um, which was very common in St. Louis because of, of residency issues of um, Missouri being slave, Illinois being free territory. Mm -hmm. So he, um, those, those suits were very common, um, but there was kind of a stance taken in the Missouri Supreme Court that said, sure, when you were in free territory, you were a free person. But when you came back to slave territory, meaning Missouri, you became a slave again. Um, and so Roswell decided in order to keep the case propelling throughout the courts, he would change it to citizenship. And he is the first person to argue um, citizenship in the federal courts. Um, and so that was how the case was propelled to the U.S. Supreme Court. And he, he stated that um, Dredd and Harriet were citizens of the United States. Now, he, he stated that that didn't necessarily mean that they had the rights of a white man or a property owner, but it meant that they couldn't be owned, that they were not pieces of property, but in fact, humans. Hmm. Um, and so. that was almost a groundbreaking thought in, in legal it, jurisprudence at that time. It was definitely, um, it, it had not been argued before. And unfortunately, as we all know, the U.S. Supreme Court um, said that, no, they were not humans. They are property mm. and they could not fight for, for anything in federal courts. So and they went over and beyond the case and uh, declared the Missouri Compromise unconstitutional. So. so, yeah, this was a hugely significant case. Was Roswell uh, uh, Field doing this because he believed in this or was he doing this for the money? Oh, he he did this because he was he believed in it. There was there was no money in it for him. He, he believed that um, individuals had rights and that we needed to do the right thing uh, as an attorney. He, he was very well educated. He was fluent in five languages. Um, he mostly did. Uh, land suits because of his knowledge of all the different languages and it really helped him in St. Louis. Hmm. So um, taking on this sort of case wasn't his, you know, bread and butter, so to say. Um, it, it was something that he felt compelled to do. 
So his son, Eugene Field, ended up becoming very prominent in his day um, in a completely different field. He was a poet. Uh, What made him such a big deal uh, in the world of children's poetry? So, yeah, um, Eugene, he actually got his start um, in newspapers and um, became very, very popular in newspapers. He wrote in several different places, St. Louis, Kansas City, Denver, Colorado, and Chicago, where he became his most famous. Um, And one of the things that I like to say Eugene was is he's kind of like our first blogger, but in newspaper, he really got the chance to write about anything and everything. And one of those things that he did write was poetry. And um, at the time when he was writing, he was writing for adults to remember their childhood. It's just that adults were reading it to kids and kids took to his poetry um, so much so that um, there was a Eugene Field Elementary School in every state at (laughs) one point in time. So his his works really resonated with both adults and children. And after his death, um, he was um, termed the children's poet. Hmm. We're talking today to Stephanie Bliss. She's the executive director of the Fieldhouse Museum in downtown St. Louis. Um, It's celebrating its 175th birthday. That's the focus of a new exhibition uh, that opens tomorrow called Momentous Milestones. We're talking about some of those milestones here today, Roswell Field and then his son Eugene Field. Um, Stephanie, I understand the house was actually scheduled for demolition in 1934. What a classic St. Louis story. They were just going to sweep away this past. What happened to change the narrative here and save this house? So there was a local editorial editor at the, at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and his name was Irving Dilliard. And he felt compelled to write about this house that was slated to be torn down. Um, he, he had known about Eugene Field as, as a writer, and he knew that the birthplace was the home at 634 South Broadway, because in um, 1902, Mark Twain came and dedicated a plaque there um, as Eugene's birthplace. It's still on, on the wall outside the house today. Hmm. And so um, Dilliard wrote an article, and unfortunately, he didn't get a lot of attention from that first article. Nobody really said anything. But in the meantime, he found out that Denver was saving Fields home when he had lived there. And so he wrote a second article saying, you know, how horrible is it that Denver can save his home, but we can't save his birthplace. And there was a gentleman named Jesse P. Henry of Daniel and Henry Insurance here in St. Louis. And he saw the article in bed one night is the story. And he felt so compelled that in the middle of the night, he was going to get up and find out who had owned the house and because he was going to save it. And his wife told him, you know, hang on, we'll go in the morning. No, no worries. It's not going to be demolished overnight. And um, he found out the next day that the property was owned by the St. Louis Public Schools. Hmm. And so he contacted them and he worked with them to save the house and the rest of the units were torn down. But this particular house was saved. Um, and I understand that in part because of this arrangement with the St. Louis Public Schools, their students still get in free today. Is, is that is that actually true? Yes. Yeah, so um, since um, the 1930s, 1934 and 1935, the school children actually raised almost $2,000 in pennies and nickels and dimes in their penny drive. Um, and so they helped save the house. And um, for the years that the schools ran it, they used it as a um, 
a field trip destination. Hmm. And so after that, uh, the legacy was continued where the St. Louis public schools um, do get free admission to the to the museum. Hmm. It's kind of interesting to me thinking about how at the time this house was saved, Eugene Field, the poet, was a bigger deal. It seems like today we might look at Roswell Field, uh, the, the freedom fighting attorney. Do more people who come by today, are they interested in, in Roswell Field's story or, or poet Eugene Field? Well, so we are very complex and um, it, it depends on if they are local or if they are a visitor. So um, visitors, we do get more of the Roswell, um, you know, aspect of the museum and Dred Scott related because of the old courthouse being so closely located to us. Mm -hmm. Um, Local St. Louisans mostly remember us from the, um, I would say, 1970s to 1990s with our um, extensive toy phase of museum. So um, although we go by the Fieldhouse Museum today, we used to be known as the Eugene Fieldhouse and St. Louis Toy Museum. And although the name has changed, we have not lost that aspect of the toys that we have. And so you've got a a big collection of toys there on site. Any particular types of toys? Or is this meant to run the whole gamut to today? (laughs) We we have... um, so many different um, toys in our collection. The oldest toy is from 1780, and it's a snake in the box. So Ooh. it's a trick toy, and um, you kind of tell your friend that you can't get the box open, and they pull as hard as they can on the lid, and a snake comes out and gives you a snake bite. Uh, what's either really fun or really mean about uh, the joke is that there is a tack on the end of the snake's mouth, so he does give you a little scare with a poke or Ooh. a bite. <laughs> Obviously, we don't make those today. <laughs> yes, that's, it seems like something we've outgrown as a society. We're not uh, yes. tacking children with, with snake bites. <laughs> yes, yes. But it is a fun toy. Um, and so it ranges from there all the way up to, you know, modern toys from Fisher Price to an Atari. So. Hmm. So this museum has a whole lot going on, um, just so much history here and in, in different segments of American history. This uh, this exhibit that's about to open, Momentous Milestones, is this the first time that the whole history of this building is going to be on display all at once? Yeah, um, really focusing on the, the house and the organization's history. Um, this is the first time we've really done something like this. Before, we've had snapshots of our past, especially when we opened our um, expansion in 2016. So along with our historic house, we have a a 4,000 square foot museum expansion. And when we did reopen, we kind of touched on some of that, but this is the first time we were really delving truly into our history and those people who helped not only um, save us, but have supported us and helped us survive the 175 years that we've made it so far. Well, it really does sound like a momentous uh, set of history here. And the show, again, is called Momentous Milestones. It's at the Fieldhouse Museum. And Stephanie Bliss, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. And Stephanie, again, is the executive director of the Fieldhouse Museum that's in downtown St. Louis. Tomorrow on St. Louis on the Air, we'll meet Reginald Dwayne Betts, and we'll learn about his journey from being a juvenile offender to a Yale graduate. We'll meet the Reverend Michelle Higgins, the first black woman to lead St. John's Church. And we'll listen into a radio resistance conversation involving the legendary track star, Tommy Smith. We also want to ask for your help with something. A recent Pew Research Center survey found that Americans are increasingly confident 
confident they can safely attend services at a church, temple, mosque, or other house of worship. And the percentage who say they actually have worshipped in person this spring is slightly higher than it was last summer. So we want to hear from you. How has the pandemic affected your religious practices? Have you returned to in-person worship? Why or why not? Let us know by emailing us at talk at stlpr.org. That's talk at stlpr.org. Or leave us a voicemail. You can call us at 314-516-6397. That's 314-516-6397. And leave us a voicemail on our dedicated voicemail line. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.